0: The Craze are infamous across the world as two of the most feared gangsters of 1950s and 1960s London. The former boxers turned mobsters Ronnie and Reggie ruled the East End with a combination of protection rackets, violence and their self-built celebrity status. That reputation as the kings of gangland has outlasted the men themselves and seen them immortalised in popular culture. But what were they really like? I sat down with a man who knew the pair well, David Teal, whose new book, Surviving the Craze, lifts the curtain on the inner working of the firm. Can I take you back, David, to... A very dramatic event that happened in 1966, when your home, which you shared with your wife and children, was taken over by the Crays. Can you talk me through why that happened?
1: I think it was a Wednesday night. It was about tea time. I got a phone call. The phone used to be in the hall. I'd come through, and it was um, Reggie Cray saying, "Come over to the, the widows, which is you know round the back of their house, a the little pub, Madge's." And I actually had a hangover, so I finished work and I didn't really fancy going out. And, uh, no, you've got to come over. If they said you've got to come over, you've got to come over. Otherwise they'd send someone round. Anyway, we got to Madge's. He said, where's your car? Jumped in my car. Make your way to Waldenstow, to the checkers. chap who had a pub over there. And uh, on the way there, he said he's just killed Cornell,
0: George Cornell, and that was the infamous that's murder a, in the Blind it, Beggar pub. That's yes.
1: exactly what it was. One of the Richardson firm, he just shot him. Get off the manor. Reggie was panicking as usual, like you know, banging on the front of the dashboard, saying, "What's he done that for? What's he, you know, why didn't he tell me and why didn't he organise this mm. better?" Anyway, we got to the checkers, and then was in there for a. F- about two hours having drinks at the back there behind the bar and it come on the news and then because they had no plans where to go mm. this was just like a spur of the moment thing mm. so Reggie and Ronnie looked at and looked at me they said we came around your house they, I, you couldn't argue with them and it was we're coming and that's final because once you'd done something you know something <laughs> they'd done something and you knew it you was on their thing they was in your radar so they wouldn't let you go anyway because you know too much Mm. So they come round and they just took over the place. They took the place completely over. Uh, one of them bought a shotgun round, mm. and then someone else bought, and they had guns. Charlie did a lot of delivering of the guns, and Charlie Cray. Charlie, yeah, you know.
0: The other brother. So I mean, how many in total would you say were?
1: I could say in one room, you could say twenty, up to twenty.
0: Is, is Reddree? Reggie ronnie Monty, ronnie charlie there from time to time a man called fat wally fat wally guy. big
1: pat big scotch Pat, yeah uh,
0: little frosty so these people had, had nicknames
1: little frosty uh, and there was a connie whitehead albert don there was teddy smith there was everyone coming and going but the, the actual night the first night it was got to be two or three in the morning before we actually i went into bed with the boys and kids and they were in the front room yeah and I think about seven, he was peeping round, saying, can you make some tea?
0: Ronnie had just murdered George Connell, a member of the Richmonds gang. His crime was to go from South London to drink in the Blind Beggar on the
1: Craze Patch. What was he like? What was his demeanour like? He was calm. He thought that Cornell was challenging him. In other words, he's taking the mickey out of him. Mm. Like, we're not frightened of you, mm. you know, that attitude. I mean, we can't come on my manner. Like, he was enjoying it. He was he was mad. You know, it was, ah, that's it, like, good, isn't it? Done, done what him. What about
0: Reggie? Because Reggie has been depicted as someone who was more thoughtful and maybe more in control himself.
1: They'd always be arguing. I mean, there was more rows in there for them two weeks than you've ever seen. I mean, really? fighting. I mean, really? oh, go and fight. In and your you're small flat? In the front room, I swear. And me and Elfie had to jump in one day because no one would interfere but they had a row. No one on the firm would interfere.
0: And who would get the better normally in a fight?
1: I'll be honest with you, it, it was about evens. I mean, they, would, they wouldn't They would play. They would literally punch and, you know, And they, I mean, there'd be blood and there'd be ties and shirts, you know, torn and everything. You know, mm. it wasn't just a, an ordinary, it was like a fight outside a pub, that type of thing. And uh, this happened sometimes twice a day.
0: And what, what would spark the argument?
1: Mainly that when you thought he was the governor, and Ronnie wanted to be the governor, and it was trying to turn around and say, don't tell me what to do, you know. And that's how it used to go on. It was absolutely, when you look back, I mean, it is 55 years, isn't it? It was mayhem.
0: What was their empire like then? So, 1966, yes. they had a, a big reputation already by then. There were friends of mm. showbiz stars, clubs across London. How yes. big was it and how much power did they have?
1: They were better than Adolf Hitler. Their propaganda was great. Whoever dreamed that up, they would make things up. They would make like they was millionaires. We've got clubs. We're club owners. I don't think they own one club. We've got loads of suits. They never pay for the suits. Everything they've done, they just took. If they had a car, you had a car showroom, and they'd just walk on there and say, that's a nice car. What do you think of that, Reg? Yeah, we'll have that. You say, oh, well, where's the money? We we'll sort it out later. Everything was later. People have said to me they was millionaires. They wasn't millionaires. They took everything. There was bullies. There was going around just taking anything they wanted.
0: How would you address
1: them? as Ronnie and Reggie or Mr Cray? The Colonel and, and Reggie, the twins. You the know, Colonel? The Colonel, Ronnie Cray. He was the Colonel. And he wanted to act like a Colonel. And everything he thought he'd done was right.
0: So they were in your flat for two weeks and there were two threats there, weren't there? The police yes. coming to find them and also the Richardsons taking reprisals. What worried them more?
1: Uh, the Richardsons. They had the police straightened, they had the police under control. See, let me just try and explain. Just say, I've just taken a figure, this is not an actual figure, this is just a guess. They was getting £5,000 a week, say, out of all the protection rackets and all the things they was doing. It was costing them 4000 a week to get the five, with the bunging the police. Mm. So really, <laughs> they had to get money to do what they was doing, because mm. they was paying so many people off. Every police station had an informant for the crazy in there. It would it, it, It's hard to explain, but people say, why don't you go to the police? Well, you couldn't, because everywhere, police station, mm. it's not like now. You've got phone calls, you've got all these secret numbers you can phone, and you know, it wasn't mm. like that, we had no mobiles, nothing. Mm. You mm. went into the police station, by the time you come out and you got home, they'd be standing at the door and say, where you been?
0: Let's take a step back. In terms of your own background, it's important to mention here: so you're born in, in Islington, to North London, during the war, and big family. I've got two brothers, elder brothers. In your book, Surviving the Craze, you mentioned you had your own sort of brush of the law as a kid.
1: As a juvenile, I did. I deservedly went away to uh, proof school because I did actually, you know, I broke into shops and I, you know, I was, mm. I was a little tea leaf. What was an approved school like? It was. Yeah. Um, I was in Red House Farm School, Buxton, Norwich, Norfolk. I mean, number was seventy-five. It was just being away from home and just, you know, telling you what to do and. You have some to, discipline there. Yeah, and all that, which I hated really, but.
0: So when you came back to London, when you finished school, you end up working your, in your I, mum and dad's mum, club.
1: Yeah, I helped him in the first the Febberton Club, and, mm. and then we moved. Got so busy in there, and mm. then we moved around to the. 66 the Tudor. You first was, bet
0: the craze when you were 17?
1: I think it was about fifty-nine, sixty. 60. Yeah. Yeah. How well, did that happen? I, I was working on my mother and father's club up the Angel. That's in
0: Islington, which yeah. is in North London for those who don't know London well.
1: And, uh, and I used to let people in and out because it was a members club. And uh, I think it was about one, your mother said, No more, Dave, we're finished, you know. So I went and down and opened the door, and it was Dickie Morgan. I said, sorry mate, we're closed, like that. And I just closed the door. And then I turn around to go back up the stairs, bang, bang on the door again. I opened it, I said, what, what's the matter? I said, we're closed. He said, do you know what I've got here? I said, I ain't got a clue. And I closed the door again. <laughs> He's bang, bang, and the bell going, and anyway, I said, look, do me a favor. So I've opened it on a big chain. And help is coming down the stairs, I said, I said, ''We're closed. He said, ''I've got Ronnie Cray here.'' I said, ''I don't care who he is. He can't come in.'' He said, who is I said, ''Something to do with Cray or something.'' He went, ''Oh, my God.'' He said, ''Go up to the kitchen and I more or less. Sit down in the kitchen.'' And when I crept out about half hour later, because I used to collect the glasses, Ronnie saw me and he went, ''Oh, you're a nice boy. Come over here.'' I looked at him, I went, ''Oh, right.'' He said, ''You're nice.'' That's how he talked, but he, yeah, 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 when, you, when your mum tells you not to do something, good. That's what you've got to do, do what your mum tells you. I thought, well, he's not all there, is he? Because his, you know, squeaky voice, didn't realise, didn't tumble, he was, you know, uh, homosexual, I didn't even dream of it.
0: What reputation did they have by
1: that stage? Well, there was being known in the East End, yeah, as the craze boxers and having a few rows and different things mm. and fights and... So they're just
0: emerging as gangland figures. They was
1: just coming up the ladder. They was just coming up, and they could have a fight. They could fight. They could, you know. They was very, they got up on it. They was very threatening because if they, they was getting more and more in the gang, you know what I mean. And uh, it was just a gang man bullying people really. And they yeah. only looked for vulnerable people. They didn't go around, you know. They wouldn't walk walk into say another gangster's, you know, clubs. Yeah. They'd just go round to people that was, you know, where they could slip in.
0: How did you become, effectively, a, like a foot soldier for Which the guys? You weren't in their gang, but you no. were sort of drawn into that sort of underworld well, in a certain way, yes. weren't
1: you? They wanted uh, drivers, they wanted straight people. They could go round and be in their company and have on the firm. If it, they had got me, because I, I wasn't known to the police in that respect, as being on their firm. So they had to use people, that the police, because they were being watched all the time. And there, you know exactly, they was being watched. They was being watched from early years.
0: You were in your late teens then. I mean, uh, did you feel like you were part of a part no, of the firm? I
1: felt, I'd be honest, I mean, to walk round into a club with Ronnie Cray and Reggie Cray and Charlie Cray and all that, I mean, when you walked in, people would say, oh, I well, want a seat, you know, want a drink. You know, I mean, I was I was 17, 18, 19, and you felt like 29 because, you know, you was with them, I and mean, it was impressive. You know, you was like walking out with a pop star or, or treated
0: uh, like royalty. In... You
1: was treated, and they and they was treated. I mean, if you went into the club, there wasn't a table, they're fine. One don't forget when I first met, and they wasn't murderers and all that. No, you know, they was just coming up the ladder. And then you was an errand boy, you run and do you pick their mum up, you know, Francis, take us, that's, Re- that's
0: Reggie's, uh, Reggie's oh,
1: w- oh, wife. Mean, were you paid for your work? No, it wasn't paid. People have asked me that. In the meantime, we had to go out working. I mean, we had stalls in Chapel Street, we had to go out fly pitching. You'd get your few quid, it was all in your hand, it wasn't like a nine to five job. Mm. Costermongers, you know, working in the markets, trading and get a few quid and then go out.
0: I see from your book that you got to meet celebrities like Shirley Bassey.
1: I did meet Shirley Bassey. Judy Garland. You I mean, did meet, she sat on my knee when she came over, but she was lovely, went backstage, hmm. lovely woman, beautiful woman. And
0: she wouldn't have had any idea, of no, uh, no, 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 what, what, would... what the craves were up to? Oh um...
1: no, neither did all these people. I, uh, the thing about that was, uh, I was in a show called Things They What They Used To Be, all about the East End and that, and they came to see it, and uh, they asked me to do some charity work for them, and I did. And... Hmm. I mean, what they'd done, they took over Sammy Leverman's hmm. entertainment business. He had an entertainment business, hmm. And they decide to take that over. Anyone that comes into England from America, yeah. right, they would manage and say, well, you've got to go on a tour of this, you've got to do this. Mm. And in their entry, say they were at the Palladium yeah. for a week, well, you've got to go and see the Crays because they're part of it for charity and all that.
0: When did you realise for the first time just how violent these men potentially were?
1: Well, it started off at roughly... Uh, up the club, went in got a gun and shot the fellow in the leg. Who? Ronnie. Ronnie. Yeah, Ronnie. He went, For what reason? Ronnie Craig said, Well, you owe me so much money. And uh, when he said, Yeah, cop that, shot him in the leg, and he screamed his head off, and everyone went mad, and uh, put him on a thing, give him a light arm, and take him to the hospital. Well, in all clubs, you get an occasional drunk, you know, and sometimes they have to be slung out, and that's why there's a dorm in there, but um, I suppose it's nightclub land all over the world, really, it's just the same as. I don't suppose it can be that bad.
0: people won't go to them, really, would they? They had a big rivalry, didn't they, with the Richardson's gang yeah. from South London. I mean, the Richardson's were every bit as violent.
1: I never personally met them, but they apparently there was, and they was the Riches were down in the West End, and the craze wanted to take it all over. The craze wanted to be the governors. They was taking over each little man as it goes, and uh, of course there was. Rivalry, there was, uh, you know, there was got the hump of them, but um, the actual, you know, I think they met once in a, a nightclub and he supposed to have called him a big fat puff. But whether that's true, I think it was affected. fact that this is our manner, there you will come in our manner, like we with mm. now. Mm.
0: The craze, you know, that according to the legend, mm. if that's the right phrase, you know, yeah. used methods such as kneecapping people, stitching tongues. Well, smashing buttocks, branding yeah. people's faces with a red-hot steel.
1: It, it did happen. I know they used to go... I mean, they used to give, give someone a punch into someone, just like you would go and have a cigarette or go to the toilet, just give someone, have a fight, you know, and have a give them a dig. It'd be nothing. Everyone used to come round, even big, big villains, big, strong men, and say, what mood's he in? Everyone wouldn't know what mood Ronnie was in. We was didn't.
0: Ronnie more violent? Was he the more scary of the two?
1: He was, he, honestly, he was. He, you know, you'd look at him and you think, you know, if he's in a good mood, he was all right. But he was, if he started to sit back and look and that, he would sit on a table and just look over and and you think, what's he going to do next?
0: So, Ronnie, as we all know, was homosexual, 1960s, a very different era. People weren't openly yeah. gay. No. And it, uh, to put it mildly, <laughs> It didn't really fit, did it, with the image of a gangster Absolutely. to be gay? What was his demeanour like? And those homophobic comments which were made about him, how did that affect him?
1: He did not show out that he was gay. He didn't get, walk around like, like you know, and, and that. He would just sit there and he'd be very, you know, very smart and polite and one thing another. But he had it seemed to keep hold it in behind him, if you understand what I mean. But then as he'd go, as he has a few drinks... It would slowly it would relax itself, and when Teddy Smith used to have a few drinks, he used to do the same. But Smithy was more Danny Larue-ish, you know, start acting camp and like a, you know, uh, like shut up, darling, and all that. Mm. And he didn't like it, Ronnie. He didn't. Ronnie used to say, look at him, like he's like an old woman. You know what I mean? Think so he
0: was more of closet homosexual. A
1: closet, that's the word, yeah.
0: So He's got that sort of hidden side to him, and then he's got the gangster side to him as well, and um, there must have been a real conflict there.
1: Well, um, absolutely. You know, as I've got to put it, he, he, he tried a couple of times with his thing, but you never dreamt. I was thought, in my eyes, I thought I was like the young brother, one of the family, and you'd never dream that he would do what he'd done. But it must have been building up when he got older. me. He must have been building up in it. He planned it, if you understand what I mean. He planned for me to drive him home. He planned for me to stay there. He had that in his mind, and it was just building up.
0: And you were to suffer a really brutal attack?
1: Rape me completely, yeah.
0: But, I mean, male rape was, uh, was unknown. Would it have been possible for you to report that at the time?
1: Uh, this is what really bugs me sometimes, because I... Uh, I would never have reported it at the time. I'll tell you, I was too embarrassed. I was too ashamed.
0: Although David told the police in 1968 about the rape by Ronnie Cray, no action was taken over the incident and he didn't inform his family or friends about it until relatively recently.
1: It was unbelief. It was. Mm. I just woke up and there he was. And what
0: was he like after that to you?
1: In my eyes, he was like he was in remorse. He he was choked. He'd done it. He, he you know he knew he he's done wrong. If you because know, when I said I'm going to tell everyone, I said I'm going to tell. Don't you say a word. I'm going to tell your mother. Now she's trying to make us tea downstairs. And I so he
0: raped you in his own family home.
1: Upstairs, next door to his mother and Violet and Charlie. I screamed so loud, and I know for a fact they heard me. I know they heard me. I screamed and shouted, and and they took no notice. And then they come in, all right, boy. Want a cup of tea?
0: What was Ronnie's relationship like with his mother then?
1: Absolutely idolised him, and he idolised her. There was like, um, you know, he was like a mummy's boy, and Reggie as well, and Charlie. But you know, but the thing was, I wanted to get home that morning get out of it all that i felt was dirty and ill and he said we all got we're going over to have a bath at the bath because the bath house, the bath mm-hmm. house is over the road mm-hmm. i said let me just go no come over we're going over the bath. and got get in the bath well i needed a bath after him and then smithy came in and then there was talking and then smithy went no ron no 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 ron you can't do that no i think he was going to do me when mm-hmm. he cried i'll kill you yes kill me Because he was in remorse. You know when you've done something, he's got to get rid of the evidence. That attitude. Smithy's saying, no, 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 Ron, you can't do that. Like that. Getting realised. of Smithy saved your life. I really do. I really, really do. I think he would have done me there and then in that bath. You yeah.
0: ended up in prison, didn't you, with your brothers? Talk me through that, because that's a key part of your story.
1: I don't know, as I say, I don't know if many people that's been accused and put away for three years for something you had not done. It's like me coming in there and walking out of here and getting nicked.
0: So you got fitted up?
1: Fitted, completely fitted up. But it was the police. It was yeah, the way they are working. What was it that got it, you put away? It was because they was getting Ronnie and Reggie Cray, and the Crays, and Bobby was a witness. Me yeah. brother, he's a witness, and he went and give Tommy Butler the great train robbery man you know the police yeah. officer yeah, yeah and he turned man and and said right Bobby's giving them all the information now the craze have found out about it they found yeah. out there's a spy in there so Bobby's gone back to his people in Scotland Yard or MI5 mm-hmm. or secret service mm-hmm. and said look they're gonna get us so they said we'll get you away So now they've got us away, they've put us in for demanding money with Menses.
0: Was it what they call noble cause corruption then, that they put you away for your own safety?
1: Well, that's what they tried to say. Yeah, but our charge of demanding money with Menses would have gone to the Sessions, Mm. right? The magistrates' Court, they took us to the Bailey. Mm. Number one court for a demanding money with Menses charge.
0: Well, that is the show court, the old Bailey.
1: Never been heard of.
0: After Ronnie murdered George Cornell, mm. Reggie brutally murdered yeah. Jack the Hat McVitie, yeah. armed yeah. robber who had chickened out of a contract killing that the yeah. Crows had ordered. So the police were onto the craze big time, and Leonard. Nipper Reed he was the detective the yeah, superintendent, much lauded, a legendary figure at Scotland Yard, uh, and he sought your assistance to bring down the craze. And they were eventually jailed, weren't they, in 1969?
1: The 34 year
0: old ex boxer twins, Reginald and Ronald, came here early this morning with
1: flying squad officers, and they're still here. They were in bed when the squad called at their home in Shoreditch at about six o'clock this morning. Later, their older brother Charles came here also with police. 13 other people, some of them well-known businessmen, were brought here... about
0: the. What mm-hmm. was it like giving evidence against them? Because they'd cheated justice repeatedly over the years. Uh, there must have been a fear that they might do it again.
1: Absolutely petrifying. It was so dramatic, you know, to go in there and in that old bailey, to walk in there, you'd need something in you to go and front it all. You know was that I mean?
0: court number one, David? That was
1: at the same court. What was your evidence? Exactly what happened on the night they shot Cornell, because they came come around my house, right. and in the end, they admitted it all.
0: When you went into court yeah. to give evidence, mm. they were in the dock?
1: Yeah, yeah, all of them. Yeah. Did you look at them? Uh, I did, because they was all sissing. They was going, shh, grass, shh, grass, and all that. And he said, grass. I just, I just looked over at him. I said, the truth hurts. I said, he's coming out now. Because I could never fight, Ronnie Craig, No one could. But I thought, I'm going to get you. And how did
0: you feel when that sentence came through?
1: I tell you what, I think we got drunk that day with, with the police officers because I think everyone was delated. And uh, I think the East End, they sold more champagne in the East End in little shops and tailor shops and businesses because um, there wasn't these legends as they have betrayed to be now.
0: Because they had this image of being untouchable.
1: They was untouchable, but not untouchable in a nice way. They pretended about their charities. That was all pretence. Once we, they'd done a charity down a club, I can't remember it, exactly what it was, mm-hmm. they'd, they'd have a bag, you know, like a money bag. Yeah. And one night he said, take that home and bring it back in the morning, the bag. I went round to Valence Road in the morning, opened the bag in the front room, on the table, they counted it up, Charlie come running in, Charlie Cray, and said, where's my whack? And they'd have 600, 700 pounds, right, two for you, two for you, two for you, one for the charity. And I've seen them do that with my eyes. Mm -hmm. It's all pretense about the charities and good people and no swearing in front of women.
0: And their crimes had awful impact. I mean, you you Mm. seem to have done really... well to have recovered from something horrific. But your wife, Christine, Mm. she found it more difficult.
1: I'll be honest She, my wife got hooked on sleeping pills and drugs and that, and the first thing that he'd done, Ronnie Cray, in my house, when he got his doctor over, Ronnie, he'd give her, like, tranquilizers, Valium. I mean, my way out of it was to have a drink and just go to bed, but her way was, you know, she's had it all day with the kids. It was the hardest thing in the world when you look back at it, I mean... It, and she died in very tragic circumstances. She killed herself, unfortunately, yeah. When was that, David? Uh, in 96. After the craze and different things, she started drinking a lot and then taking um, only medication from the doctors, you know, like mm. sleeping pills. And mm. and then she turned, and she, she, she'd have a few drinks and then she I'm going to kill myself, you know, and all this, and i say... Like, and in the end, it was just a, like a routine thing. And mm. then and then I found out and then she'd done it and it was absolutely... Uh, No, there was no help then. There was nowhere you could go. There was nowhere you could go. They didn't know nothing about mental health and all the things we know now. No, no. You know, and I feel I just, you know, I wish it couldn't have been like that. It was horrible, really.
0: Ronnie Cray died in 95.
1: It's unlikely the gangster would recognize the East End of today. At St Matthew's Church, Reggie Cray was greeted like a local hero, but a former convict-turned-writer recalled the Crays were not always so popular.
0: I remember it. Uh, I was working at the Daily Mail by then and it was, you know, people reminiscing, or some people, not everyone, but some people reminiscing of the good old days of gangsters in the East End. I wonder what your emotions were.
1: I was highly delighted. I think I was really, I thought, that's handy. I wish the whole lot of them, I I wish they had done them. They give him a pill, all of them. And, you know, there's a lot a lot that's not been said about Charlie Cray. They've kept him Gentleman Charlie, Champagne Charlie.
0: Well, he's a drug dealer. I reported on him. Uh, well, he, went, he, he went away quite... I know he did. ...in the 70s, I, I think, didn't he, for drugs? I know, yeah. but
1: I found out that, you know, he went and made my old woman when I was in prison. Really? Yeah, really, really, really.
0: Reggie died in 2000.
1: It was the East End funeral that Reggie Cray had planned in his prison cell. Free at last was the message spelled out in flowers, reflecting 31 years served for the murder of a fellow gangster.
0: Were your emotions around his death any different to Ronnie's?
1: I I think I was pleased, if not more happier, because he was just nine When, when Charlie died. I was more than pleased. And... I keep me nearing all this, you know, what lovely people and what, you know, Champagne Charlie, what respectable well, they went round and done this for charity. And I look and I listen and I watch and I go, oh, my God, did you know? Them? They was the biggest bullies on the planet. They was liberty takers. They, If mm. you had something they wanted, they'd take it. Mm. And that's including your house and your mm. wife. Mm. People don't see that. They say, oh, this wouldn't happen if the craze was here they say, you know, the doors and the windows was open. In them days, you could Mm. leave them open. Mm. Well, the reason it was open, because there was nothing inside to take.
0: In preparation for this podcast, uh, I watched Legend, the Mm. film starring Tom Hardy as both Ronnie and Reggie.
1: Oh, Charlie Richardson said, we're to knock the granny out of you, Reg. Oh yeah, he did, did he? That's good of him. You won't mind if I fight back, will you? Well, you think he could manage it? Ah, it's not. It's more from your pride, really, to be honest. I warn you, I'm not going to fight fair, though. So I brought these. All right.
0: What's your assessment of how real is it?
1: Me and my dad went up and see that, and uh, I looked at it. I just thought, well, who they, who's it supposed to be of? That wasn't the Grace. The pubs were the same, the clothes were the same. Tom Hardy played a brilliant part on Ronnie's reactions on looking like Ronnie. They was more violent, more cunning. I was out with Reggie Cray many a time with Frances and that.
0: Francis was his wife. Uh, yeah. his wife, yeah.
1: yeah. And uh, you'd never see a kisser or dance and all that.
0: In your opinion, and it is your opinion, I guess mm. the fact that you survived the craze and that's the name of your book, Surviving the Craze, that in your opinion, it's not an accurate portrayal of Absolutely. what they were like. No,
1: no, they're making them businessmen, gentlemen. That was the idea of that film. Mm. Businessmen. Yeah. I mean, there was more like hooligans. It made it all look glamorized them and it made them look important. They should have really turned around and said, "No, these are bullies. These are horrible people."
0: I was very moved by the story of Francis. Reggie's short-lived wife, what are your memories of the real Francis?
1: We went to the talk of the town one night, there was about four tables. We was on one, me, Christine, Francis, Reggie, some other people. Ronnie and Teddy Smith and other people were on another table, someone else was on another table. And uh, all of a sudden there was a a little table over there and there was a couple of young fellas, a bit loud, a bit boozed. He went up and smashed into him, Reggie. Literally smashed chair over there. It was murders, right? She ran to the toilet, Frances. He come back and she just run out to the toilet. I don't, you know, like a lady would. And with embarrassment and, uh, you know, fear, I suppose. So Reggie said to Christine, go in, go in there and see if she's all right in the toilet, in the lady's toilet. Now the lights said, all come on. Got her out the toilet. So he said, take her home. Now we wasn't, I don't think we was in there half an hour. She's got all done up all nice, my wife's all nice, and we're all ready to start, and then he's going to cause that. Next minute, we're in the taxi, I'm taking her home. Make sure she goes in the door, that was one of you. Make sure she goes in. He was very paranoid like that. So the night out of the talk of the town was completely all down to... Reggie. It was him trying to prove, that I'm, I'm a gangster, I'm, you know, because they was enjoying this all on the next table. Yeah. She was petrified. Francis was petrified. She said, how do I get away from this? Yeah. She said to Christine. It it Francis was... took her life as well. I know she did, yeah. I think they all went for it, the women. I mean, yeah. it, it, was a, it was a man's world then.
0: Now, your book has been years in the making, hasn't it? Why have you written this book?
1: I wanted to prove that i never done mm. what they said I'd done, what they put me away for. I've always said that. From the day I went down the old baby, down them steps, and the reason I'm doing it is, is to get it all the truth out there. And when I started digging, just before this lockdown, I got started getting stuff, and I've got it, and I, honestly, it paralyses you.
0: Because you've made an allegation to the police watchdog of, of corruption, yep. haven't you, Absolutely. against a, a named officer. It is a long time ago, but it's important for you, obviously.
1: And also the people that are involved that put us away didn't think of our families, did they? Didn't think of anyone. they just done it to you know for the system, to get the craze. They didn't realise they was putting someone innocent away. You know what I mean? This is how they were then. So per- they've
0: been protected even now?
1: Well, of course they are. There's eight boxes they got closed on us, on me and my brothers. Mm. Eight. Why they won't open them? We did not do what they said we'd done. Mm. Okay, we've done our bird, forget about it, but I want someone to apologise and say, I'm sorry, but that's how they work then, not how they work now. But the thing mm. is, I want it out there, it's, you know, just saying, Look, don't make these mistakes, because they wasn't worried about my wife, they wasn't worried about my kids, they, wasn't, they would just put him away, fit him up because we're going after the big ones. They got the big ones in the end, but the dummies they done to the little one to get them there.
0: You've been listening to a Mail Plus True Crime podcast with me, Stephen Wright, and with David Till, whose new book, Surviving the Craze, is available now.